Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Gentlemen, it's rivalry week. It is the best weekend of college football, bar none. We've got the game. We've got the Egg Bowl. We've got the Civil War. And we've got Feast Week all right here on the Three Technique. One man. Goodbye. Hello, Heisman. 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45, 50, 45. There goes Davis. Oh, my God. Davis is going to run it all the way back. Auburn's going to win the football game. Welcome in, everybody. Happy Thanksgiving, an early edition of the Three Technique, along with Trey Reeves and Garrett Turney. I'm Mitch Mason. Glad to have you with us on this holiday weekend. We are just thrilled uh, to be able to break down what I think is the best weekend in college sports. You've got the college basketball tournaments going on. You've got, obviously, rivalry week, playoff implications, left, right, and center. And, And Trey, as we just talked about in the ledger, you throw the records out, you throw on-field performance out a great majority of this week. It is very difficult to pick against the spread. It's hard to pick straight up because so many games go the other way. We were just having a discussion about the Iron Bowl and Auburn's record against Alabama when they're on the Plains and Jordan-Hare. We'll break that down uh, more coming up. But uh, just as we get started, I couldn't be I couldn't be happier. Holidays are here. The weather is chilly outside. I spent the weekend in a tree. I mean, vibes are high. This is just the best weekend of the year, in my opinion. Yeah, man. The only downside is it's our last regular season football weekend, right? It's our last full weekend. That's the only bad thing about the post-Thanksgiving games because you get to just sit back on your couch, eat all your leftovers. I'm a leftover sandwich guy myself. I've seen a lot of fun recipes on Instagram this year that maybe I'll try, but I'm a leftover sandwich guy. And just turn on football and don't stop and savor that last full regular season game. Look no further than our intro, man. I was taking note this time. Three of our four uh, intro sound bites are from rivalry games, right? The yeah. game, Cal Stan. I know Cal Stanford don't play on you know rivalry weekend, but Cal Stanford, um, you know the Iron Bowl with that great kick six. It just gives us the best moments of all time, year in and year out. 
Well, you know, I'm I'm very excited to break all of this down with you guys, uh, Garrett. Um, as as we get into this full slate, uh, Friday especially, I think because it's the day after Thanksgiving. What are you loading up a plate with? What's your favorite leftover dish to watch the Black Friday slate with? Look, you need your meat. I'm kind of a tray on the sandwich thing. You got to get your your meat plus, you know. Any extra, you know, if you have any more stuffing, if you have any more of the, the cranberry, if you have any more, just mm. if there's anything else like that, you just throw any more of that on there. I always get big heapings left of the of the pumpkin pie. Uh, I'll just keep more pumpkin pie. My wife's making an extra one as we speak, um, right. making an extra one just for us so we can keep it over the over the over the Thanksgiving weekend and have it through the weekend. So that, that'll be kind of my guilty pleasure is consuming way too much of a pumpkin pie over the weekend. Uh, I'm right there with you. Unhealthy amounts of food, unhealthy amounts of family in some cases, <laughs> and, uh, and unhealthy amounts of not in my house, not not in my house. No, no, not you. Of course not. Of course not. Yeah. For for those, I, I saw this. Uh, I saw this post right before we got on, and it was like, you know, a caption brings brings my therapist home for Thanksgiving, and you know, quote me see see what i'm dealing with and the therapist goes oh <laughs> my gosh <laughs> so you know uh listen lots of thoughts and prayers out there um you know if you need to down. if you're listening to this while snuck away from your family welcome we, we are sure. very happy you're here sure yeah. exactly uh before we dive into the pre-snap notion all of our big games want to let you know today's broadcast all of our broadcasts brought to you by our friends over the Transfer Portal CFB doing the best possible work uh, for an independent media site, breaking down college football, writing weekly articles. We write our weekly column, Headlines in Review. I think this weekend is going to be the last version of that. We'll, we'll have some other writing go up, but this is probably the last weekend Headlines in Review for this 2023 season. Of course, uh, our friends over at homefieldapparel.com also running a tremendous Black Friday sale right now. Seriously, head on over there. Get your Christmas shopping done for all the sports fans in your life. And actually, I know we've got the banner saying use our code. If you want to use our code for 15% off, that's great. What you can do is even better is you can use Homefield's code, Black Friday, to get 20% off. But if you shop through our link, which is over on our Twitter account right now, uh, at 3TechPod, if you shop through that link, it still helps support our show while giving you 20% off your entire order. So I was doing some Christmas shopping on there yesterday. Would strongly encourage you guys, go check it out. Let us know what you find. Let us know uh, what uh, you know what your favorite things are. But I've got some new t-shirts rolling in, got some presents that's going to be coming in as well. Um, homefieldapparel.com has you stocked for the, uh, for the holiday season. So Anyway, guys, without further ado, uh, let's get into this week's pre-snap notion and some concerning some concerning rumblings going on. And I, I don't know if this is from the college football casuals. I don't know if this is crying wolf uh, ahead of time. But with Jordan Travis's unfortunate injury, uh, him announcing that his collegiate career is over last weekend, there are a lot of people that are responding to the fact that Florida State might be left out of the playoff. Now, we don't know what the college football playoff rankings are as we're recording this because we're recording this on a Tuesday afternoon to get it out of date early. But my, my notion for this segment is, guys, if 13-0, if Florida State is left out of the playoff because Jordan Travis is not the starting quarterback, the entire system 
is meaningless. I'd love your take on that. Well, I I totally agree with you because all they did was if if it, the if the scenario plays out that they go thirteen and zero, especially winning two very difficult games, a rivalry game against Florida and against a top ten Louisville team. I'm assuming they'll be top ten in this college football playoff rankings, but winning those two without your starting quarterback, your all everything quarterback, isn't that more impressive than, you know, winning them without. So like, I don't know how your perception could go down just by still winning. And all you would have done is win every single game in front of you. So if you're telling me that going 13 and 0 in a power conference schedule and challenging, challenging yourself in the out of conference with a game against LSU doesn't get it done just because one player goes down, that would be just a travesty. Like we should throw the whole system out. I know we're throwing it out next year, but we should burn it to the ground and start fresh because that would be, that would render just zero confidence in my mind in the selection committee that you can't even get that right. Well, and it's not the way it works in any other sport either. It's not like, Mm -hmm. you know, in other sports where it's record based and you have divisions and whatever else, it's not like you say, Oh, well, you know, the Eagles, they make the playoffs, but oh, well, Jalen Hurts got hurt. So never mind because they're not going to be as good as someone else. You're not speculating. You can't project that forward. You have to go off of what you've seen and what they've earned. Mm-hmm. The fact of the matter is, Florida State throughout this season has earned a spot in the playoff. And if they do go 13 and 0, like you were saying, Trey, if they're going 13 and 0, that means they're beating Florida and Louisville. And those are two, I think, pretty good teams. I mean, I don't think Florida's necessarily as good, but. They're showing a little bit more resilience at the very end, and it is a rivalry game, so you can't discount that. Mm-hmm. If they're going thirteen and zero, the the rest of the team, you know, it, it's more than just Jordan Travis, right? It's the rest of the team that has earned this as well. This defense showed up and played every week, right? You got guys like Keon Coleman have showed up and played every week, right? Trey Benson showed up and played every week. So, like, uh, I don't know why you would take this from them when you know, the rest of the rest of the team has also contributed to getting here. And by the way, it also has to do with coaching staffs and their systems. If they have the ability to plug in another quarterback who's maybe not as good and still win football games, this goes a long way to showing how that coaching staff and that system deserves to play in the playoff as well. Because more than just the players who who primarily are the guys out there, you also have coaches that put them in positions. You have staff you have trainers, you have strength and conditioning, you have everything up and down the list that that's been grinding all off season, all fall to get to this one spot. And, and now because one guy gets an unfortunate injury, it all goes down. That That's just completely unfair. And it wouldn't happen with any other sport. So it shouldn't happen here either. I, I completely agree. I think that's why with this 12 team playoff, we have to get towards some sort of some sort of locked-in bracket, right? Automatic qualifiers, conference champions uh, from the Power Five are automatically slotted in. Well, I say Power Five, uh, as if there's going to be five power conferences next year. Who knows what we do with that? But maybe the American gets elevated to that status. Um, I, I, I don't know. But there has to be some sort of true bracketology where, hey, you win your conference championship game, even if it's Iowa, right? Even if it's Iowa somehow winning the Big Ten, Guess what? You're in the playoff. Congratulations. I think that creates a lot of drama, even more drama around conference championship time. And then you're asking, you know, a Michigan or Ohio State, whoever wins this weekend, uh, to to be in a large slot, which of course they would be. But still, it just it adds so much intrigue. It it uh, helps keep the matchups and the seating fresh going in. 
and yeah, it, there's no way that a Florida State, or in my in my opinion, there's no way that a Georgia team, assuming they win this week, even if they lose the SEC championship game, you cannot tell me that that Georgia team does not deserve to play for a national championship because they lost to a top 10 Alabama team in the conference championship at a neutral site, right? Like four is just not big enough. And Garrett, to your point, it's not done that way anywhere else in sports. Uh, so I think we are going to get to a better system next year. Like I said, I don't think there's any credence behind this. Florida State should not be left out. I, I don't have any reason to believe that they would be left out if they go 13 and 0. Uh, but that would be that would be embarrassing, and it would be an indictment on the entire industry if a 13 and 0 conference champion and a Power Five team is left out simply because they don't have their best player due to injury. Well, and ironically, I feel like a lot of this noise that's being drummed up is from the, you know, hardo bros that are like, oh, four's too many already. And you don't, they wouldn't be deserving because they'd be, you know, they, they'd be heavy underdogs to Georgia or whatever. Who cares? Like they, they earn their right to be there. Most deserving does not always mean, you know, most likely to beat Georgia. And we saw that with TCU last year, right? I think TCU is one of the most four deserving teams. Other than, you know, you could argue that you could put in a two-loss Alabama, I guess, but TCU is one of the four most deserving teams. And, yeah, they were 60 points worse than Georgia or whatever on that one night. But that doesn't mean that we overreact and just throw out undefeated conference champions because they right. might be they might be victims of a blowout because they lose their best player. doesn't matter. They earn yeah. the right to be there, and it's a case for expansion either way. And it's so ironic to me that most of the people saying, Oh, well they would get blown out. So we should put someone else in there. Probably the ones proponing, you know, stay with four or even downgrade back to two. Yeah. Guys, here's the other thing. Um, if they went and took Florida state out of the playoff, it kind of undermines their entire system and all of their credibility yep. because that would be specifically an eye test question, not a strength of schedule question like they've prided themselves on in the past and they or a head-to-head head head, your results on the field and and your record and your resume and everything else you can just toss all of that out and you mm -hmm. can explain it to the other teams that have been barely left out when they looked like the better team but they didn't quite have the strength of schedule and all of the different teams that, that through the entire system those teams get to go back and say well hey wait a minute we didn't have the schedule or the resume but we looked better Right. And so if they're going to yeah. make the argument that let's leave out Florida State because I think Washington looks better or Oregon looks better or one of them. And by the way, one of those teams might end up making it anyways and they might deserve it. Right. But you still have to play the games on the field. At the end of this, you still have to be able to say that you did the right thing and that you're going by your own metrics. Right. You're going by your own judgments. And if you've shown in the past that you're going to value things like strength of schedule and head to heads and conference championships and everything else. But then you're going to say. 13-0 Florida State with their conference championship, with their record, with their strength of schedule, with whatever else, throw it away because I think that Ohio State looks better and they lost the game, but they they you know they look better. Or or because, well, you know, I just kind of feel like Texas deserves their chance this year. They looked a lot better with their 12 and 1 conference championship. That just doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make sense why you would leave that out and undermine your entire system that you've built because you don't think they, you know, Florida state can win without Jordan Travis. Totally agree. Uh, boy, like I said, I'm not raising the alarm here. I just wanted to address it ahead of time because if we do get a shocker tonight, 
uh, on the, the ranking show or if we get a, a shocker a week from now, uh, I want I want a clip. I want the receipt to be able to tweet at the playoff committee because uh, that would be that would be a total miscarriage of justice, uh, which I can't fathom. But everyone's writing about it like it's a real possibility. So I figured, hey, let's weigh in on it as well. Let's get to our big three, though. Uh, and we've got three tremendous games to focus on, none more so than the game, Ohio State and Michigan. Michigan, as of time of recording, three-and-a-half-point favorites. It might be down to three uh, where you get your lines. This is a Saturday 11 a.m. kick. It's Fox's big game of the week. Guys, without a doubt, this is a playoff game in its own right. Uh, Michigan and Ohio State vying for the Big Ten East crown. The winner goes to Indianapolis to take on the Iowa Hawkeyes. We've seen that script before. It all but seems like the winner of this game is guaranteed a spot in the college football playoff. But the storyline that jumps out to me is the loser. And that typically is the case in this game because the Big Ten West hasn't mustered much of a challenge in the, the conference championship game. And so we've been left to wonder, for the loser, are they eliminated from playoff contention? I mean, they're not completely eliminated, but they need chaos, like what broke out last year. The reason Ohio State got in last year is because there was chaos in the conference championship games, and TCU lost to Kansas State, still got in, but uh, USC lost to Utah, and there a few dominoes just had to fall Ohio State's way, and those dominoes fell. So that's why Ohio State got in last year the loser of this game is going to be rooting for several other teams next week and can't control their own destiny. So not completely eliminated, but this is a big deal. And I do want to point out that this is the last iteration of the game likely that will be like this because in the yeah. future next year, these two teams will turn around and play again in Indianapolis next week. And, you know, even if Ohio state wins or Michigan wins this week, the other team could get the auto bid by winning next week. And that's one of the downfalls that I will acknowledge of the 12 team format that's been proposed. You will have situations like that, but I think that's more of a scheduling conflict with the big 10 than a playoff issue. But that's a, that's a rant for another day. I just want to acknowledge that this is the last, uh, last iteration that'll be, you know, all the marbles on the table like this. Well, and I think there's a point there, but at the same time, this game is so much more than just what it means nationally, right? If this game was irrelevant and both of these teams were, you know, you know, seven win, eight win teams coming into it, it would still be one of the most heated rivalries in the country and everyone would care about it, right? And, and you have to think about the storylines coming in, you know, the the whole Michigan winning the last several and, you know, they've stomped all over him for a couple of years and it's been, you know, you know, Ryan Day can't get over the hump. And so now there's that whole thing. But now, you know, Michigan maybe hadn't looked as good since Harbaugh has been suspended. And there is the whole, you know, suspension and the and the sign stealing and everything else. And that's drama. And so maybe Ohio State fans feel like these wins weren't deserved. But then you have to turn around and say, well, OK, well, Ohio State, you know, you made the playoff last year, but you didn't win this again. You still haven't been back to that conference championship game in a couple of years because of Michigan. You've had to watch your rivalry, you know, rival do this a couple of years in a row. You're finally playing better defense, but maybe that offense isn't quite as electric as you thought so in previous years. Man, there's just so many cool storylines coming into this. Right. And, and that's the way that it should be. This game should have big storylines. 
you should have some intrigue. There should be a lot of questions that go around this one. For this year, I think this effectively is an elimination game because I think there's just so many other teams that could get in with one loss, right? If you look at the, you know, the ACC championship game, you'll have probably, assuming no chaos, a you know, at worst, one loss champion, either, you know, Florida State, maybe they lose the the Florida game, but still win the championship game. Or you have Louisville coming in there as a one loss conference champion. They should deserve to go as a one loss conference champ over a one loss regular Michigan or Ohio State. Right. You, you should you should deserve it in that case. And, and then, you know, you think about Texas with one loss. You think about either Washington or Oregon with one loss. I think this effectively is an elimination game for a lot of different reasons. I don't think that yeah. this team whoever loses this one, I think they'd be prime candidate to finish number five and just not make the playoff. Yeah. I think, I think right there behind any combination of Alabama, Texas, Oregon, um, I think you're going to have a very talented jumble five through, you know, seven or eight this season. Uh, Mm -hmm. Trey, let's get into the, let's get into the X's and O's here. You know, the narrative leading up to this is can Ohio state stop Michigan's rushing attack. That's what you're going to see if you turn on the national shows. But if you dive into the statistics, it's not like Michigan has a dominant running game. It's not like Michigan is running for 250 yards a pop whenever they want. It's been the bread and butter for their offense, but they've they haven't been tested, right? They they've only played one CFP top 25 team all season long. JJ McCarthy has been able to take literally entire halves off. I don't know that the narrative should be that Michigan is some overwhelming force on offense. Yeah, Ohio State's certainly been more tested coming into this game, more consistently tested. And, you know, Michigan's not coming into this game playing their best football right now. Overall, Michigan's 50th in yards per game rushing. Ohio State's the 21st rushing defense, right? So this is a little bit of a reversal of what we've seen the last couple of years where Michigan's coming in with this behemoth rushing attack and oh can ohio state be tough enough ohio state's proven that they can play tough hard-nosed football this year they're not winning with cj stroud just chucking it up and you know having this huge offensive skill player advantage they still have that but they're willing to play a grounded out get grinded out game they're willing to play elite defense and play hard-nosed football and that's been the winning formula for them this year kyle mccord has not been a Heisman caliber, caliber quarterback, and Ryan Day has shown that he can win in different ways. So I think a lot of people that are painting that narrative are just kind of falling into the trap of what this game was last year. Last year, you know, Michigan was the hard-nosed team. Ohio State was the all-flash, little uh, little stake, right? All-sizzle, no stake. Mm-hmm. And that really bit Ohio State. Michigan brought out a different game plan, started throwing the ball downfield a bit more, but it was really Ohio State's lack of toughness that hasn't been a problem this year. And it's going to be fascinating to see if Michigan's able to turn it up a notch like they have the last couple of years. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, 
Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I think, you know, we put for our second X's and O's that the Buckeyes need to throw the football down the field. Now, their their backfield has not been very healthy this season. They've had to rotate a number of guys. Kyle McCord has not been a standout. He's not been outstanding. He's really not been anything uh, more than slightly above average in a game-to-game setting. But you look at his total numbers, and Ohio State is averaging 283 yards per game through the air, 24 touchdowns, 5 interceptions. Listen, he's not been fun to watch, but Honda McCord has not necessarily (laughs) been the... Uh, the the anchor holding this Ohio State team back. In fact, it might be something that has kept them under the radar enough to where a lot of people are going to pick Michigan this week, and then Ohio State flips the script. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a chance that they stay kind of tamped down on offense, but I think this is the time when it's you know it's time to let loose and start throwing it down the field, right? It, it's time to start taking some chances. They've been really efficient, right? Kyle McCord has been efficient. He's been good at doing the right thing with the football. Hasn't made a whole lot of mistakes. It's gotten better as the years worn on, especially. But man, like it, it just feels like it's that time to let it fly, right? It, you can't come out, you know, kind of hesitant in this game. You can't come out a little bit slow in this game because if you come out slow in this game, and the other team gets up seven points, ten points, fourteen points, now you're starting to panic. Now you have to push down the field. That's when mistakes happen. That's when the sacks start stacking up. You start to get those picks. You start to get, you know, fumbles and stupid mistakes and third and long and penalties and everything else. And when you get to that spot, that's not the way that you want to catch up on a very talented other team, regardless of which side of the ball it is. So, you know, if it's if it's Michigan, I think your concern is, okay, well, yeah, you maybe haven't had the running game you've expected to all year, right? You've tried to get it going. And it hasn't been as good. Now, Blake Corb still got 20 touchdowns on the ground this year. That's that's fantastic. You can't knock the guy for being as as effective as he is at scoring, but he just doesn't have the yardage numbers that we had last year. On the flip side, I think that you know Ohio State's done a better job keeping a balanced offense this year, but you could almost argue it's balanced because they need the balance and they don't have the ability to go down the field like we expect them to from, from a normal year. So It'll be interesting to see if they change up their game plan and decide, you know what, let's take a shot early, right? If it's me, I'm wanting to throw some kind of a jump ball one-on-one down to Marvin Harrison Jr. early, like first drive. You know, first time you get the chance, it can be a, you know, run the ball in first, second down, we're going to take a shot because you need to start establishing that early and you need to establish you're going to do that. If you don't, then you let Michigan kind of clamp down on you and and that would be a problem. Trey, let's get to the picks. You are riding with Ohio State to win this game outright. Explain the case for the Buckeyes going on the road and knocking off Michigan. To me, it's just who's playing better football right now. And I think, you know, Ryan Day has a chip on his shoulder, first of all. He's tired of hearing the third base comments. He's tired of hearing how his team's soft. He's tired of hearing how he can't beat Michigan. I just think he gets it done this year. I think he finds a way, gets it done. 
Uh, I know it's on the road. It's going to be a hostile environment. I also think Michigan's just been a bit distracted. All this sign stealing stuff, all this, you know, Harbaugh versus the world comments when he's really just, you know, agreeing to all the investigations. Um, I think it's going to catch up to him this week. I think it's almost caught up to him a couple times, but the distractions are going to catch up to him. I'm taking Ohio State in this one. If for no other reason than Ohio State's just kind of do in this matchup, and I've done underestimating the physicality of this team. I did it against Notre Dame. I did it against Penn State. Yep. I'm done underestimating it. I think they've proven it. I, I think – I think home field advantage in this rivalry is something that is very, very important. I think Michigan has been one of the top two teams that we've gone back and forth with Georgia all season long. Now, is the argument true that Michigan hasn't still hasn't played really anybody? Yes, I, I think that is uh, certainly a factor. Ohio State has more skins on the wall to this point in the regular season I trust Michigan's offensive line and their ability to move the football a little bit more than I do Ohio State, especially against such an elite secondary that Michigan has. Now, Ohio State's defense, they've flipped the script. They are no longer the liability that's going to hold this team back. I think this is a very tough, very, very close football game. I'm going to ride with the home team to win and take Michigan, but I am going to take the Buckeyes and the two outcomes uh, here as my official pick. So give me the Buckeyes plus three and a half. Uh, gentlemen, it has become my brand to be the Ohio State hater on this podcast. And I know that I stuck up from earlier in the season. You're welcome, Joe. Um, but Joe, you might want to turn this one off for a second. Um, Ohio State, it's been good. They've been really good this year, but they haven't quite been explosive. They haven't been that same Ohio State team that we've been looking for. They got the 24th ranked scoring offense, which for a lot of teams is really good. But for Ohio State, that's just not where they're used to being, right? That's not what they normally do on an every year season. Uh, and, and on that basis, they do have, however, the second best scoring defense in the country. That's something you can't ignore. That'll travel. But the first and best in the entire country scoring defense belongs to the Michigan Wolverines. They have the 11th best scoring offense. I'm rolling with Michigan to keep the streak alive. We're wearing the home field shirt. Hail <laughs> the victors. Michigan, you're doing it again. They'll win this game. They'll secure the top spot in the college football playoff. And they're going to do it for Harbaugh, even though realistically Harbaugh did it for himself. But that's that's the motivating factor for the Michigan Wolverines. They want to do it for their coach. They feel like it's everyone against them. And when you get a team with a complex, whether that complex is right or wrong, they find a way to do it. Give me Michigan. Uh, you know, all of these speeches and it's for Harbaugh, like he somehow departed from the realm of the living <laughs> have gotten old. Um, it is so very I'm, I'm very reluctantly picking Michigan. I, I think, uh, I think for the headlines to give us a fresh story, it would probably be best if Michigan lost this game. Um, I think it would exercise a lot of demons for Ryan day as well. But, um, you know, like I said, I'll roll with the home team. Let's move in to the Civil War, the Platypus Cup, whatever you want to call it. It is the last installation of this game that we know about. Unlike the Apple Cup, that's been extended through 2028. I have not seen any word of this game getting renewed going forward. Oregon State travels to Autzen Stadium to take on the Ducks. Uh, Oregon is a 13.5 point favorite right now. This is a Friday night game, 7.30 on Fox. Gentlemen, can Bo Nix win the Heisman? this weekend absolutely 100 yeah. 
Yeah. Okay, there, there you go. I, 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 I've included <laughs> well, in our he's share. He's had there. the numbers, right? He's had the numbers this season. He's looked really, really good. Uh, I think everyone needs the Heisman moment, and I think that can come this weekend. If he puts up massive numbers in a rivalry game, yeah, he's going to win the Heisman. That's that's fair enough. I kind of expected a little bit more pushback uh, on that. Uh, just for comparison, it seems like over the last couple of games, Michael Penix Jr. maybe has slid backwards in that race. He's just consistently failed to put up the the 400 yards that we were seeing, right? And, and last week doesn't even throw for 200 yards. Yeah, what a loser, uh, not even passing for 400 yards. <laughs> <laughs> well, but when you've got Bo Nix doing what he's doing, when you've got Jaden Daniels doing what he's doing, um, you know, listen, momentum and a full body of work matter to the Heisman Committee no matter how many wins you have on your schedule. So I, I do think Penix Jr. is likely out of it. I think it's a two-man race. Uh, but for Bo Nix, 3,500 yards, 35 touchdowns to the air. He's got five rushing touchdowns. He's just thrown two picks. He can. Uh, he's already set career highs for completion percentage and touchdowns, and he's just 70 yards away from doing so for uh, yardage for a single season. Jaden Daniels, who we'll talk about a little bit against Texas A&M, he's got 3,500 yards, almost 3,600, 36 touchdowns through the air, 10 on the ground, and he's thrown four picks. Understandably, he's doing this for a one-sided team. That LSU team is dreadful on defense. They are not even close to consideration for the college football playoff. But for Bo Nix, he's putting it all on the line this week against a rival who is very, very good in pass defense. And that's that was the, the X's and O's that jumped out to me. Oregon State's pass defense has held up time and time again this season. They held uh, Penix Jr. to just 162 yards a week ago. On the other side, though, Oregon State wants to run the ball. Uh, Trey, you texted me while I was out in uh, in East Texas. DJU just looks lost. Uh, the blitzes that Washington is bringing just has him all kinds of discombobulated. Uh, and, and DJU was not good a week ago. So they have to go through the ground. The problem is Oregon has the 11th ranked rush defense this season. They're giving up less than 100 yards per game, just about 96 yards uh, per average. It's hard for me to, on paper, get Oregon State to a victory, but I think the question becomes, that's a large spread, 13 and a half. It is at home for Oregon, but in a rivalry game, guys, are we throwing the records out and saying these are two teams that don't like each other. Oregon State's still playing for a lot as far as a bowl game goes. Can they keep it closer than two touchdowns? I think the pathway is definitely there, but the difficult thing, like you outlined, Mitch, is that rushing game matchup. I don't like if this turns into a Bo Nix versus DJU, you know, shootout situation. I think Oregon wins this one going away. If Oregon State's able to somehow, some way, find some room on the ground, then they're absolutely able to keep it close. I'm just concerned about that. And I'm concerned about the game plan because last week in a driving rainstorm, they decided that DJU was the guy that was going to help them win the game when they were yeah. getting five, six, seven yards a carry on the ground. So hopefully they learned their lesson. I think they could have stolen that one from Washington late. They were just committed to the ground game, used their timeouts, had about five minutes left on the clock when they got the ball back. They were moving the ball on the ground, but they decided the best way for some reason was DJU throwing it 
15 to 20 yards downfield. And I just don't think that that's a winning formula. But this this defense is not Washington's defense. Oregon's defense is much stiffer competition. And I worry if that game plan is going to work out either way. So the recipe is some somehow, some way, finding a way to get the ground game going. But I, I just don't know if Oregon's going to allow that. I It's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. Damian Martinez is going to have his toughest challenge uh, of the season, I think, so far. I do want to shout out Troy Franklin for Oregon, a wide receiver that is just not getting the national headlines or accolades that I think he so clearly deserves. 68 catches, over 1,200 yards receiving, and 13 touchdowns. That is better in every statistical category than Marvin Harrison Jr., and yet you've got folks clamoring for Marv to win the Heisman, to be considered the best wide receiver in college football. I think a guy over in, in Washington has a bone to pick with that in Roma Dunze. I think he's been better and bigger for his team this season. And then Troy Franklin has just been, he, he's been the skeleton at the bottom of the pool in, in, in that famous meme, right? Like just nobody is talking about him. Uh, so I do want to give him his flowers. I think he's been tremendous this season. I'm going to take I, Oregon. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Mitch. I, I was going to say, I'm going to, I'm going to take Oregon state plus the 13 and a half. Uh, I think this is one of those games that, we just roll. Uh, we roll the rivalry card. Does does it make real sense for Oregon State to stay competitive in this game? Probably not. Like on paper, I think Oregon wins this by twenty one uh, going away. Like you said, but it is a rivalry game, and Oregon State has bitten Oregon in years that they had no business doing doing that. Right? Uh, last year. They yeah. they beat Oregon, uh, and and that it's was like a an crazy absolute, finish. But yes, <laughs> it it was a crazy finish. So I'm gonna roll with Oregon State. I think hopefully, like you said, they learned the lessons from a week ago. They commit to the ground game, maybe some play action, but they they've got to find a way to control the time of possession, control the clock, and just give the ball to your best player. It's not DJU. It's Damien Martinez. Yeah, I the other thing I'm concerned about with Oregon State, I'm going to take Oregon to cover this probably late. When Washington had the offense going in the first half, Oregon State, I know we highlighted that overall they did hold the passing game just 162 yards this week. That's a big win against Washington, but they had no answer for Roma Dunze. And I think in better conditions, hopefully, I haven't checked the weather this week, but possibly in better conditions, I can't imagine they'd be worse in the first three quarters of that game. Uh, in Corvallis last weekend, I worry about Troy Franklin doing the exact same thing that Ro Roma Dunze did to the Beavers defense last week. Yeah. I'm going to take Oregon to cover late. I just think they're too talented. And if they don't make the mental mistakes they did last year, then they would have won last year going away as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, guys, Oregon's going to win this one big. It's going to be ugly um, for, for the whole game, I think. I think this is just a game that the Ducks are going to roll in. Uh, and I have a couple of reasons. Number one, you guys already highlighted the defensive differences between the two, but I want to highlight the running backs themselves. Everyone's going to talk about Martinez in this one. Bucky Irving has more scrimmage yards than Martinez does on the year. He has a couple more touchdowns than he has on the year. He's a more effective weapon out of the backfield than Damian Martinez. And if you don't like it, tough, right? That's just what the numbers say. And when you turn on the tape, it's pretty clear that Bucky Irving is one of the most dangerous players on the field when he's out there. And when you give a guy like Bo Nix an amazing outlet right there with the deep threat with Troy Franklin and you have these other receivers out here, Tez Johnson, right? There's plenty of guys to throw the ball to. There's plenty of weapons that you can use if you're an Oregon Duck. 
But the main reason I think this one isn't close is that Oregon knows they have to be convincing. They're absolutely scraping and clawing for a chance to make the playoff. For Oregon, a Rose Bowl feels like a, a consolation prize, right? If you go this whole year and you play as well as you play and you got a guy who probably should win the Heisman Trophy and you end up ending up in the in the Rose Bowl and not making it to the playoff, I think you're disappointed this year. And, and so, and that's not to say anything about the Rose Bowl. It's a great game. It's a great bowl game to play in. But this Oregon team is different. And I think they're going to play like it. I think they're going to come out. I think they're going to look flashy. They know that the eyes of the nation are on them, and that they got to make a they got to make a big splash here on a Friday night. And I think they do it. I think they win this one huge. I think they take the run game out of it for Oregon State by jumping up a couple touchdowns early. And I think that they just don't even let them establish that. They'll get after uh, DJU. They're they're, they're going to put the pressure on, and that defense swarms the ball. Roll ducks all the way in this one. Ducks are going to, I mean, steamroll in this one. It's not going to be close. The only thing I worry about with Oregon running away from it is, is there a potential that they've got their eyes on the Pac-12 championship game already? Avenging that loss to Washington, finding any possible way to make it into the football, uh, college football playoff. I don't know. I don't know. It's something to keep your eye on for sure. Let's move to our final big three game, and that is the de facto American semifinal game between UTSA and Tulane. Tulane, a three-point favorite at home. This is a Friday afternoon game on ABC. Those of us that are calling high school football playoff games on Saturday certainly appreciate a loaded Friday slate. Uh, guys, UTSA, 8-3 and three this season. Tulane is 10-1, and one, but both are 7-0 and in conference. So the casuals may be looking at this going, of course it's going to be Tulane. They're the much better team. That doesn't take into account Frank Harrison Jr., Harris Jr., excuse me, getting hurt early in the season. UTSA really sleepwalking through non-conference play. Tough loss to Army early on in the season. They have been playing so much better as the season has gone along. The winner, as I mentioned, goes to the American Championship against SMU as long as they don't get upset by Navy this weekend. Uh, Trey, UTSA's pass defense. They've been really bad this season. I think that's one thing that might slip under the radar. Everyone wants to talk about UTSA's offense, but the pass defense has not been what it was a season ago. You figure like if UTSA is to win this game, they've got to find a way to make Michael Pratt and company one-dimensional. And you're you're muted, by the way. <laughs> love, love that. All right. They got to find somewhat somehow some way to do that. Absolutely. And I think that's why I'm leaning Tulane in this one. Uh, to me, Frank Harris Jr. is a fantastic quarterback. This is not a slight at him, but I think Tulane has the better defense and the slight quarterback advantage in this one, plus home field advantage. UTSA is on a heater right now, and you can't discount that, but Tulane has looked very good, very consistently all year. They've, they haven't had the score point differential to show it, you know, all the time, but overall they've looked very good, very consistently. So I'm going to roll with them at home to a minus three uh, UTSA fantastic recovery for this year and eight and four in your first year in the American yeah. is nothing to sneeze at, but uh, Tulane, I think gets it done. Yeah. I'm going to roll with UTSA to cover this thing. I think that they're going to be right. able to go in there and make this a game. I think Tulane might be on a little bit of an upset watch here. Um, look, this is just an underappreciated UTSA, which I think is finding its stride at the right time. 
I mean, look back at their last week game. Uh, Frank Harris made headlines across the country because of what he did. He put up over 500 total yards of offense and just like a gazillion touchdowns and like did all the things that you want a quarterback to do. And, and I know that there were some emotions involved in that. It was his last game at the Alamo Dome. And so you're, you're thinking this is a big moment, but let's not think that this isn't a big moment, right? This is a chance for him to go out there and validate some things about this program, right? This is a program that he's invested in, that he cares about. And when I look at the other side, I just don't know where Tulane's big offensive response is if he gets out to a big, out to a bit of a lead, right? Let's say that they go up by a touchdown or so and start to do that. I just don't know that Tulane has the big offensive response for for that, right? I think that if you look at these two teams, they're pretty evenly matched. Obviously, one really good offense, one really good defense. I just kind of think that when when it's all said and done, the best player on the field plays for UTSA. And I think that that's going to be what ends up pulling them over the top. Some way, somehow, they're going to find a way. Frank Harris is going to have to be special to to beat this mm-hmm. Tulane team. You know, folks forget the only loss that Tulane has is to Ole Miss. You look on the in the box. When Michael score, Pratt was hurt. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Tulane, I believe, now has won the last fourteen games, uh, if I'm not mistaken, that Michael Pratt has started. Um, they were without him in that game at home against Ole Miss. If you look at the box score, you think Ole Miss won by two scores. What's the big deal? But remember, Tulane had a turnover very, very late in that game that uh, in the last, I think, 60 seconds of that game uh, that made it look much worse than it was. Tulane had Ole Miss on the ropes for the vast majority of that contest. I'm going to roll with Tulane as well. I think they're the better team at home. Frank Harris has to be special, and I think he can be, but... Uh, what I'm looking at is, uh, I mentioned the the passing deficiency that UTSA has on defense. Tulane is one of the best teams at converting third downs, and they're at home. If you can't get off the field as a visiting team, that is a recipe to lose a ball game. So I'm going to say it's Tulane and SMU going to the American Championship uh, in uh, in just a couple of days' time. I'll roll with the Green Wave as well. Those are our big three games. Let us know what your takes are. You can hit us up on Instagram, on Twitter at three tech pod. Let us know who you're picking in each and every one of these games. Maybe, maybe you're uh you've, you've gone on the cousins walk and uh, you're listening to us right in. Let us know who you're picking guys. Let's get to the best of the rest, the rivalry edition. Let's start. And we're going to do this uh, mostly cr- uh, chronologically just because there are so many games uh, up on this weekend. Let's start with the egg bowl. Ole Miss, 10.5-point favorites at Mississippi State. This is the Turkey Day special Thursday night after you've uh, eaten your fifth plate and uh, you want to sit down on the couch, roll yourself over to the easy chair. You can fire up ESPN. You'll find the Egg Bowl. Uh, Guys, for some of these games, I went and dug into the history of these rivalries, and some of them had just absolute gems of, uh, of historical facts. For instance... The Egg Bowl, first game was played in 1901. The longest winning streak in this rivalry belongs to Mississippi State, who at the time was known as Mississippi A&M College. They were the Aggies taking on the red and blue of Ole Miss. Uh, Mississippi State then won 13 games in a row, spanning from 1901 to 1925. They didn't play every single year, and they outscored the red and blue 327 to 33. This was not a Lane Kiffin-led offense. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. <laughs> yeah, it de- definitely appears that way. And, you know, this this rivalry is what college football is all about, isn't it? Like, we, we get weird stuff year in and year out. From the from the dog peeing a couple years ago to just last year, the Leach versus Kiffin, the last edition of Leach versus Kiffin really delivered. All I'll say about this one, I'm, I'm going to take Mississippi State to cover the ten and a half point spread at home. Just rivalry week and the Egg Bowl being weird, but please watch this instead of San Francisco Seattle. Like if you're oh, trying to decide not. between those two, this one will be far far more entertaining. Yeah, even when you don't necessarily expect one of these teams to be very good, uh, you can still get some entertainment, right? Like if you get, you know, a a late touchdown and you think that they're about to tie the thing up and then the guy decides to lift his leg and do a dog celebration. Um, That's that's a possibility for some entertainment. I'll never forget what I where I was when old piss happened. So my jaw um, was on the floor. I was at my grand in my grandparents living room and I screamed (laughs) and everyone was like, what's going on? So I was in New Mexico for Thanksgiving that year. We had just finished up the dinner. Things were getting a little dicey. There's a little bit, a little bit of libations flowing. So we were, we were getting a little dicey over there, and some people were saying some stuff. So we left. We went back to the place we were staying. It was this like cabin on a campground. We just had this field of snow. It was beautiful, and I'm watching this game, just looking out over the snow, and, and I almost missed it. And I go, "Wait, what did he do? Wait, what?" And then I said, "Wouldn't it be funny if he missed?" And, and then, of course, the rest is history. And I just thought that was the funniest possible thing. So I, I love that. Um, I'm taking Ole Miss in this one. I, I don't think there's any dog celebrations. I think we've learned our lessons. Um, and I'm going to take Ole Miss minus the 10 and a half. Um, I think that this one's not particularly close. Mississippi State, it's it's a bad situation for them, right? I think that it's it's just tough to see where they've been this year. And it's tough to see, you know, obviously with what happened with Leach and, and with, you know, losing a coach. And they just weren't ready for this. Um, they'll be able to reload. They'll be back to being, you know, confident and playing good football next year. I think with whatever coaching decision they make, I just don't think they're going to be very good this weekend. So give me Ole Miss, pretty big over the rival. Without a doubt, the best story that I found while researching this is when the red and blue finally broke that losing streak. It was a seven to six victory. They did it on the road, uh, and oh. Ole Miss fans stormed the field, got a little rowdy. Uh, in their celebration, they hadn't beaten their rival in 25 years. It's understandable. Uh, Mississippi A&M college fans then took after the rowdy red and blue fans with quote cane bottom chairs and uh, beat their fans uh, over the heads with chairs. And so that's where we get some of the vitriol from this rivalry. I'm in full support of that. Um, 
I, I think that's a, a legendary story. I do support people beating each other over the head with chairs. That's <laughs> yeah, that's definitely something I support too. I, I was uh, I was texting with uh, with Bobby Wilson, friend of the show, TNT College Football Podcast, and just basically saying, imagine imagine the rap sheet if that was to happen today. I mean, the Starkville <laughs> jails would be overflowing with students if that was uh, if that was to happen today. Certainly not condoning any violence, no matter which way this game goes. But I'm going to take Ole Miss minus the ten and a half as well. I just ew, I don't know if Mississippi State has the the dogs, no pun intended, to stay with Ole Miss in this one. Uh, let's go to the morning slate of games. And this is a sprinkling of Friday and Saturday morning games. We'll call them out as we go down the list. Guys, you've got two games on Friday morning that I'm looking at. Iowa at Nebraska, who is now up to a two-and-a-half-point favorite are the Cornhuskers. Sure. That's Friday morning CBS. If you want to watch Fox, you can watch TCU play at Oklahoma Trey, let's start with you. Which of these two games reserves a spot on your television set as you're break, uh, waking up from your your turkey hangover? Ooh, well, I'm a sicko, so Iowa at Nebraska is getting my full screen Friday morning. Uh, Garrett mentioned this in the ledger. Uh, maybe a little snow in the forecast in Lincoln. Gosh, Could I hope be so. an awful so, so field position. And possibly, possibly freezing temperatures. So we'll have to see maybe Give towards to the end of that game. Oh, amazing. That that makes it even better. I think both teams are in the single digits in this one. I don't know where the scoring comes from for either team. I was down to their third string quarterback. Nebraska hasn't had a quarterback all year, even though uh, Chuba Purdy looked decent against uh, Wisconsin last week in the first half. But I, I think the Iowa defense is going to be suffocating. I got them winning outright mm -hmm. and not allowing Matt rule to break his streak of not going to a bowl game. So the Huskers will be home in December short of needing to fill a slot for lack of six and six teams, which is extremely possible. I mean, that's very much on the table. I don't know on the academic standards where Nebraska stands, but I can't imagine it's too good. Um, look, this game is going to be a lot of fun to watch. If you just, if you just hate yourself and want to not watch football the way it's supposed to be played. Um, I have for so long this season, said, come on, Iowa, hit an over, right? Come on, you just got to believe in something. Give me an over, right? It's only 20-something. It's only that, and, and they never do it. It's 26 and a half. I've learned my lesson. If you watch the ledger, you know I've learned my lesson. Um, I'm, I'm picking the under in this one. I, I will pick Iowa to win. Funny enough, we talked earlier about how Ohio State and Michigan have the two best scoring defenses. Next on the list is Iowa. So yeah. a really good defensive product, but... Iowa does boast the, well, I don't know if they boast it, but they have it. The 124th ranked scoring offense, which is just a touch below the 121st for Nebraska. Neither of these teams are very good on offense, but at least, you know, Iowa plays a little bit of defense. So I'm going to pick the Hawkeyes to win this one. Can I pick them to win like a half a point to zero? Is that a possibility? Have we figured out how to get a half a point on the scoreboard? Well, if you're taking this game to go over, or if you're on the underside like we are, and you're worried about it going over, you're not worried about the offenses. You're worried about the nope. defense, right? A defense and special teams touchdown. That's your ticket to cover town, not the offense in this one. <laughs> yeah, totally agree. And that's what's going to have to set up any scores, I think. That's how Iowa, time and time again this year, has pulled rabbits out of their hat with a big punt return or an interception in plus territory, and that's how they get most of their points. Mm -hmm, exactly. Uh, I'm on Iowa as well. Uh, give me the Hawkeyes. Nebraska, it, 
we told you this in the preseason. Year one under Matt Rule is always painful. You had two chances. You had a chance. You were four yards away from going bowling against Maryland. Chuba Purdy throws an interception in the end zone, and Maryland drives down the field to walk it off. You had a chance against a hapless Wisconsin team last week. You're up 14 to nothing, so I'm told. You blow that one. At this point, I don't think the Huskers deserve to go bowling. They're not that team. They've got to learn, much like Miami, they've got to learn how to win again. And I think Matt Rule will get you there, but it's not this year. Fair uh, point on that, though, real quick. In terms of Matt Rule rebuilds, five wins is fine. Five wins is, I think, ahead of schedule. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think it's I think it's being teased with bowl eligibility when you, you haven't been bowl eligible since, sure. what, 20, 2014, something like that. I, in fact, I think... I think the last time that Nebraska was bowl eligible was 2014, and they beat Iowa in overtime. They hadn't beaten the Hawkeyes. Uh, they beat the Hawkeyes last year, 24-21. That was an inexplicable loss mm-hmm. for the Hawkeyes. Before that, Nebraska had not won a game since 2014. So, you know, m- maybe there's some similarities there. I, I kind of doubt it, though. I think Nebraska has to wait one more season uh, to go bowling. No real note for me on TCU-Oklahoma. Uh, Dylan Gabriel is expected to play in that one. This is probably a snooze fest of a game uh, to me, especially because it's in Norman. Just one note, TCU could be the first team to go to the national championship game and then fail to make a bowl game since the 2020 LSU Tigers. That was a terrible LSU team. I don't think TCU has been terrible this year, but certainly a fall from grace that I don't think any of us Really expected. We we had them in that seven and five, eight and or yeah, seven and five, eight and four camp this season. We we knew a regression would come, but I didn't expect it to hit this hard. Yeah, they really just haven't figured the offense out all yeah. year, and that's surprising given you know the Kendall Browse hiring, and I know a lot of TCU fans are frustrated with how that's turned out. So they finally seemed to get some traction going last week against, you know, a hapless Baylor team, but I don't think that'll be enough to go toe to toe with Oklahoma, especially with Oklahoma still having big 12 championship aspirations. Yeah. I think the big note on this is just the fact that TCU and Oklahoma are both teams that are, are probably disappointed in the product this year and behind schedule of what I think a lot of their fans expected them to be uh, for TCU. It's not that big of a deal, but for Oklahoma going into the sec, that that's a big red flag as you start to think about what your future looks like. So I, I think both these teams probably not super jazzed about this game. You want to win one at the very end, right? You want to find a way to end your season on a good note, but I don't think either of these teams are looking too much at this one. I think they're both looking to the future and asking a lot of questions. Uh, real quick, just pick this game against the spread Texas A&M at LSU Saturday morning. Uh, 10 and a half points uh, in favor of LSU. It's, <clears throat> excuse me, it's been bet up to 12 and a half in some places. LSU can't lose this game. I think that would go a long way in sullying the recruiting pitch that Brian Kelly has, which uh, I've, I've heard on very good authority that LSU is the most aggressive team in bad mouthing other teams. It seems like Brian Kelly's whole pitch is, well, you don't want to go to that school because they can't win. They're going to lose. And in some cases, for for Auburn, for Texas A&M recruits, it's actually working against LSU. The product on the field has been fine, but I do wonder if there is still some credence to that whole Brian Kelly just doesn't fit at LSU. It's just so bizarre because Brian Kelly seems like such a nice, approachable guy, right? He just... (laughs) 
don't think he's always struck me as just the guy that you want to sit down and have a beer with and just enjoy a day uh no i'm picking lsu to cover this one i think it's a sleepy morning i think that malik neighbors is going to have a destructive day for lsu funny thing i just looked up some of his uh game totals malik neighbors has failed to reach 100 yards only three times this season um which i didn't realize he was on this much of a tear um, I realized he was good. I just didn't realize he was destroying it as much as he is right now. Um, love what he's doing. Love what he's going to probably continue to do. And and look, I think that this is going to be real ugly for the Aggies. They're playing their third string quarterback who's looked okay against really bad competition. Um, and look, I mean, it's not his fault. He's developing. I don't think he expected to be in this position. But here he is. He, he's going to do some stuff. He's going to be okay. Um, but I, I don't think that they're, I don't think the Aggies are going to be able to keep up at all. I think LSU is going to run away with this one. I'm going to take LSU to win, but AM to cover just because AM is playing with nothing to lose with an interim coach and a third string quarterback. And I like how that lines up. I've talked all year long how it just seemed like the pressure was too much for AM at times. And now they seem to be having more fun. And I think that's going to carry over. I think they lose a close one to LSU, but cover that 10 and a half point spread. I think Jaden Daniels is just too much uh, for the AM defense, especially the AM secondary. I don't know what AM's offense is going to be able to produce, even though that LSU defense is terrible. I think there's a path for AM to compete in this game. I think there's a path for AM to win in this game. I, I said that in the preseason. Now, that was with Connor Wegman, heck, even Max Johnson playing as the backup quarterback. I did not have a third string transfer from Fresno State in my models when I made that prediction. Uh, I'm going to take LSU to cover this spread. I think they win by 14. Um, I think A&M puts up some points, but uh, yeah, I I just can't see A&M winning this game. Gary, what are you looking for on texags.com as we talk about this game? I'm looking at a couple of player stats to see if I could uh, justify anything on A&M side, but I absolutely cannot. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. All right, let's go to the afternoon slate. And boy, we've got some amazing games here. We've got the Iron Bowl, the Territorial Cup, uh, and the Apple Cup that we want to get into. Let's start with the Iron Bowl. Alabama 15-point favorites at Auburn. They go to Jordan-Hare on the plains where things typically get weird. This is Saturday afternoon, the CBS game. Fellas, uh, Auburn does not typically win nor compete when they go to Tuscaloosa. But on the other hand, when they play at Jordan Hare, as our friend Jake Crane said, it's like that's built on an Indian burial ground. Bad Auburn teams compete, might even win over Alabama. That's a large total at 15. Which way are y'all leaning? I am leaning tentatively towards Auburn just because the whole world is taking Alabama in this one. And, you know, typically – you like to zig when everybody's zagging when it comes to spreads. Auburn's at a low, low, low point. But if you think that they're not going to get up for this one at home against their arch rival, you're sadly mistaken. So I think, you know, Alabama probably wins this game by 14. Auburn still has a pretty good defense. I know Diego Pavia would disagree with that, but Auburn still has a pretty good defense. They can cause some problems. And it's the Iron Bowl at Jordan Hare. So I think it's going to be closer than the experts think. You're absolutely right that Auburn's going to get up for this one. The problem is Alabama's going to put them back down. It's not going to be very close in my mind. I think Alabama is a much better team who's playing like a team that needs to make the playoff, right? This is a team that needs to show some good showings. They need to have comparative victories and results over teams, and I think that they know that. 
Um, and, and look, I'm not going to bet against Nick Saban in this one. I, I'm going to bet that he's going to have his guys ready to go. Um, look, I know that Auburn gets up for these ones. Um, I just I think that it's going to be ugly. I, I don't think that after what you saw last week. Look, I, I understand Auburn is sitting there saying, well, Bama lost to ULM, and then they went on and had a dynasty. Well, Nick Saban isn't in your locker room. Okay, Nick Saban ain't your head coach. I refuse to believe that Freeze is that guy. Um, and, and look, it, it ain't it ain't your year, Auburn. You don't have the dogs. You don't have the guys to run with them. Um, it's just not going to be your year. Alabama's going to roll this one. Roll Tide. It's it's going to be awesome to watch. But you're probably going to have to turn it off about halfway through because of just you know pure mercy and your you know understanding of humanity. It's going to get ugly for the Auburn Tigers. I I don't think it's going to be that bad, especially uh, on the plains. But it is interesting. My, my favorite fact out of this, the result of a four-year-long debate uh, ultimately gave us the Iron Bowl. In the Alabama State Senate, it was an argument over land-grant rights that was pretentious, that was, or contentious, it might have been pretentious too, contentious, it was uh, a, a heated debate, lots of name-calling back and forth, burn, burning bridges left and right. Auburn ultimately wins, they get the land-grant to uh, erect a, a new university. So in, in some cases you could say Auburn won the first ever iron ball. Uh, Bama leads a series of 49, 37 and one. They've won four of the last five. I'm going to take Alabama to cover against my better judgment here on, uh, on the plains. Alabama is so much better than Auburn. And I know in a rivalry game, you throw that out, you throw the records out. Sometimes you throw the on-field performance out. It was said around the country that Auburn losing to New Mexico State is the worst thing that could have happened for Alabama running away with this game. I think that logic is a bridge too far. I think that's a couple logical leaps uh, in there. Nick Saban, it, for maybe for any other coach, that, that could be true, but it's Nick Saban. This team, Garrett, like you were saying earlier with Oregon, they need to, to style point this. They need to go out with a bang. They want to take a lot of momentum into the SEC championship game and I think they get that done. Uh, this uh, they get that done this week against Mitch, Auburn on the plains. The thought that getting boat raced by New Mexico State is the worst thing that could have happened to Alabama is so dumb. Anyone making that point is, I think, not very, not super smart. There, look, and I'm not to say that there's not a case to be made that this could fire him up. Not the, but the worst thing that could have happened, the worst thing that could have happened to Alabama is Jalen Milrow tearing his ACL and Nick Saban getting in a car crash, not being able to coach the game or something. Like, as long as Nick Saban's in your locker room and Jalen Milrow is out there, like, able to run the offense, they know what they want to do at this point in the season. They didn't know earlier. That's why they lost to Texas, because they didn't know how to run their offense with Jalen Milrow. But as the season's gone on, Milrow's looked better and better. They know what they want to do with their offense, and and here we are. It's not going to be pretty for Auburn in my mind, and and I, I don't like the take. I know that's not your take, Mitch. I'm saying I don't like the take, generally speaking. No, cer certainly not my take. Uh, yeah. Just from what I saw from from some other other reputable uh, sources, it was it was an interesting storyline this week. Uh, let's go to the Territorial Cup. Arizona, eleven and a half point favorites over the in-state rivals, Sun Devils. Uh, Saturday afternoon on ESPN, uh, Arizona could backdoor their way into a New Year's Six Bowl, guys, with a 9-3 and three record. I want to give a moment of appreciation for Noah Fafita, who came in in the backup role after uh, Jaden Delora got hurt. He took this offense and, and just continued to elevate it, continued to distribute, make that offense go, and they've been a really fun team. Of course, Jed Fish is 
at the center of some coaching hire rumors as the carousel starts spinning. Uh, but what do you think is is more the more interesting storyline? Jed Fish potentially coaching his last game at Arizona or the fact that they could backdoor into a New Year's Six Bowl game? I think it's the backdoor New Year's Six because my hot take is Jed Fish is going to stay at Arizona. I, I don't okay. think he goes anywhere. I don't have any inside knowledge to back that up, but just call it a feeling. I think that he, you know, Arizona gave him a chance, and I think that he might honor that, um, especially give it at least one year in the Big 12. But, um, yeah, Arizona possibly backdooring their way into a New Year's Six game would be fantastic. Definitely did not have that on the bingo card for 2023. <laughs> but, you know, if you start doing the back of the napkin math, certain things fall their way this week. It could definitely happen. Look, I'm actively rooting for the 9-3 and three Arizona and especially given the the storyline that we've had about how USC now officially seven and five, Arizona will finish with more wins than USC. <laughs> I would love for them to beat them by a couple of games now. I think that'd be a lot of fun. Um, and so, yeah, I think I think what Jed Fish has been able to do at Arizona is really cool. I do think he probably leaves. This is the right time to sell high. You don't know what you're getting in the Big 12. And, you know, if they go in there and they're not quite ready and the roster isn't quite in the right place and a couple guys transfer out that he wasn't expecting, now you're looking at, you know, six and six, seven and five maybe and and struggling to kind of stay relevant in a new conference. And now your program momentum is all the way down. I think he's going to parlay this into a pretty good gig. And I think that he should. I, I don't have any disagreement with him doing that. I think that you got to take care of yourself and, and make sure that you're taking your chances. And he's done a great thing for Arizona. I think he's put Arizona back on the map after being basically irrelevant for the last half a decade, decade. It's been, it's been a while since Arizona's felt relevant um, and, and good for him for getting it there. So um, that's, that's I think, the interesting storyline is where Jed Fish is going. I, I don't necessarily think him leaving is the interesting part here. I want to focus on the game and focus on Arizona, right, because what they've done is really impressive. Um, but yeah, Arizona's going to win this one big. Arizona State, not a very good football team. Um, and I think Arizona has all the reason to try to win this one, finish nine and three, and get to a really good bowl game. Let's go to the Apple Cup. Uh, we've got BYU and Oklahoma State as well to close out the afternoon slate. Uh, two big spreads here between Wazoo and Washington, and then BYU and Oklahoma State. Both obviously have conference championship uh, ramifications on the line. I guess for Washington, they've already wrapped up their slot in the Pac-12 championship game. But for Oklahoma State, they need to win this game to make it to Arlington. Uh, for the Apple Cup, Washington leads the series 75-33-6. and six. They've won eight of their last ten. And guys, I keep going back to 1991. There seems to be a lot of synergy between this year and the year that Washington co-claimed the national championship with Miami, they blasted Wazoo back in 1991. 16 and a half point spread. It seems like Vegas is telling you history is going to repeat itself again. Yeah, I'm going to disagree there, though. I, you know, I love my Huskies. I obviously am riding with them as still my college football playoff pick, but I think Washington State covers this game. I know the Apple Cup got renewed recently, but, um, you know, with all the drama, with Washington leaving the conference, with Washington State being left high and dry. We've seen time and time again this year how that narrative plays up. And on top of that, the Huskies have not beaten anybody by more than 10 points since September 23rd. I laid that out on the ledger. Yep. That's why I'm rolling with Washington State plus 16 and a half this week. Uh, against my better judgment, I think I'm going to agree with you, Trey. I'm tempted <laughs> to just say 
I think I'm, I'm tempted to just go, nah, Washington's way better. Washington State's looked like trash. Nah, whatever. But I think you're probably right. Washington hasn't been that dominant. They've won games, but they haven't been that dominant. And this is a Washington State team that can score points. Now, will they? I don't know. But they can score points. They can put them up. And I think that they're going to do it in this game. I think that they cover. I don't think that it's like close, but I think that they could lose this game by two touchdowns, 13, something like that, and just barely sneak in under that number. Yeah, this is one of those games that just feels like uh, feels like that number is, is a little bit too high for a rivalry game. So I'm going to take Wazoo plus the points as well. I'm not going to take BYU plus nope. the points against Oklahoma State. That is a bad, that. bad, bad, bad BYU team on the road in Stillwater. Oklahoma State has to win, would like to, to run it up, heading into uh, a game against Texas, presumably in Arlington. I'm going to take Oklahoma State to win this one by 24 at least. Uh, I'll yeah, say the BYU. only circumstance in which BYU covers this is if Oklahoma State goes up by like 20 or 30 and then just rests the starters so they don't get Ollie Gordon hurt. Sure. Um, I could see that. I could see that happening. And then BYU just sort of scraping back into that number and finding a way to lose by a couple of touchdowns. I, I could see that happening. I don't think it will, but that's, I think, your scenario for a BYU cover. Yep. I'm right there with you guys. BYU's been awful on the road this year. They looked good at home against Oklahoma last week, but mm -hmm. awful on the road. Oklahoma State's been good at home. Put that together, Oklahoma State's going to cover. All right, let's go to the evening slate. We've got a six-pack of games for you starting on Friday night. Texas Tech will be slinging the tortillas in Austin. They're on the road to take on the Longhorns. 12.5-point favorites is Texas uh, Friday night, as I mentioned, on ABC. Guys, does Texas Tech leave the Longhorns with a bitter taste in their mouths in their final Big 12 conference game? They have a chance. I, I think it's going to be close. I don't, I'm not going to pick Tech to outright win this game like I did in the preseason, but uh, I think they do cover. It spreads up to 13 points now on my bookie. Joey McGuire is a great coach in the month of November and December. He's proved that two years in a row now, 7-1 and one in November and December at uh, straight up as Texas Tech's head coach. They're in a really similar situation. I know it was at home last year, but they got Oklahoma at home last year on the last week of the year, they've got a chance and just everything. Texas has not put opponents away. Tech will make you pay if they don't put, if you don't put them away, I think they cover, but lose a close one. Yeah. I'm going to go with narrative here. I'm going to pick Texas tech to pull the upset. All I right. Do, I, I'm picking them to pull the upset. Garrett's Texas been good at this this year. Y'all he's, he's called multiple. I've picked a couple of double these. digit dogs. Look, look, here's, here's my reasoning. Okay, Texas hasn't looked that good recently. They've looked good. They've been winning. They've won games. Congratulations. They hadn't looked that good doing it. I wasn't really impressed last week. I know that Ames is a place where Texas goes to die, basically. But I, I'm, I'm not really impressed with the effort that they put forward for a couple of weeks now. Texas Tech, kind of scrappy, finding a way to do it. But more than anything else, if there's one team that I trust to just pull out all the stops to stick it to somebody in a petty way. I think it's Texas Tech. And yep. Texas Tech wants to give Texas the parting shot more than anybody else, more than Baylor wanted to, more than TCU wanted to. Texas Tech just wants to, you know, give them the finger, say F these guys, and, and send them on to their new conference, right? That's what Texas Tech wants to do. 
it's part of who they are. It's part of their DNA. And I applaud them for it, frankly. I think that's awesome. I love what they got going on there in Lubbock. I also think you could catch Texas looking ahead. They haven't been in this spot in a long time where they're looking at a championship spot, where they're looking at a spot at the playoff, where they're looking at anything like that. And I think you can catch them looking ahead. So I'm going to say they catch them looking ahead, a little bit of rain on their parade. And, and I think that Texas Tech gives them the parting shot on their way out of the conference. I think Texas has looked fine uh, this season. I'm going to I'm gonna take the Red Raiders to cover just because I don't think uh, 12 and a half, 13, depending on where you're getting it, that's a that's a large number for a rivalry game. And, and look, Texas has not uh, been very good at pulling away from opponents. Or if they have, they've done it early and they've let opponents back in the game. Uh, Texas, to me, does not have that uh, that offense that can go score 50 points and just run and hide. Uh, but they are very, very solid defensively. I don't know what Baron Morton, Morton's going to be able to muster this year on the road in a frenzied environment. There is no love lost between these two teams, especially not considering what happened last year in Lubbock when Texas Tech pulled off the uh, overtime upset. So I'm going to take the Red Raiders here, but I, I think Texas has uh, has done more than enough to at least defend their record to this point. They've nearly let a couple of games slip away. I don't think that they're one of the best four teams in the country, um, like I, you know, predicted that they would be, and that's on them. Uh, I, I don't think that that uh, that they can make any excuses for that. I just don't think that they're one of the best four teams in the country. But they do get a win here. I do think that they probably go on to win the Big Twelve championship game, and then you know they've done all that they could do. They throw themselves at the mercy of the committee. I think that's the most realistic scenario going forward but i do like the red raiders to give them a scare on uh, on friday night let's go to the sunshine showdown i don't i don't know what you would really call this game it's that's a lame name florida state at florida both teams with backup quarterbacks uh graham mertz is out for florida it'll be the freshman max brown who starts for the gators jordan travis obviously a season-ending leg injury a week ago it's tate rotomaker who takes over at quarterback for FSU. FSU won in a shootout last year. They uh, had lost the previous three to the Gators. In the last 10 years, it's interesting, only three games have been decided by less than 10 points. Before we got on, I was saying, you know, there's a lot of rivalry games that people just play up. Oh, it's a rivalry game. This is going to be a a two-point ball game when it comes down to it. You look historically, and there's a lot of these games that that is just not the case whatsoever, and this is one of those games. One team always seemingly dominates the other one. We talked in the pre-snap notion that it would be wrong for the playoff committee to take it away from Florida State if they were to win out. They should obviously be one of those top four teams. Florida State is so much better than this Florida Gators team. I know it's at home. I know I've made some money this year saying that Florida at home is a good defense, a physical team, and that's how they beat Tennessee. This is not, Florida State is not Tennessee. Florida State is a physical team, a tough-nosed team. I'm going to take them to win by a touchdown at least, so give me Florida State minus the points. I think they win by a touchdown on the nose. This is also a backup quarterback situation for Florida. Max Brown getting the start in place of Graham Mertz, who got hurt against Mizzou. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, battle the backups, it goes to the rest of the team who has the better supporting cast. I do think Florida will get some yards on the ground. I think ETN will get his, but you know, the receiver talent at Florida state is going to win out in this one. I think as long as Roadmaker can 
deliver a ball accurately consistently as receivers are going to do the rest. I think they win by exactly a touchdown. Yeah, I think uh, I'm going to keep rolling with just kind of blowouts here. I think Florida State's going to win pretty big in this one. Um, I, I just think Florida's probably drained. Uh, I think there's just too much emotional energy spent the last several weeks, right? It's tight games, close losses, close wins that they've been just grinding these last several weeks. And I think it just runs out. I think at a certain point at the end of the season, you don't have your leaders in place, right? You don't have your, your, your quarterback out there at a certain point. You're just, you just got to be beat. You just got to be worn out. I think that's kind of where Florida is right now. Florida state as well. I mean, playing for a playoff spot, they're focused. They know that they have to all step up to help, you know, with, with the Jordan Travis loss. I think they're all going to do that. And I think this is just a much better team. So I think Florida state wins this one pretty big. Clean, old-fashioned hate. Uh, let's go to Atlanta, where Georgia Tech will host maybe the eventual national champions, three-peat Georgia Bulldogs. Bulldogs are 24-point favorites Saturday on ABC. The Bulldogs are on a five-game winning streak. They've won eight of the last ten. Georgia Tech, not that it's relevant to this game because they didn't win last year, but Georgia Tech has not won back-to-back games over their in-state rival since 1998 through 2000 when they won three straight this georgia tech team is going bowling guys uh, garrett and i are very very excited about that but this is not the year that they're going to upset the dogs 24 is a large number and i'm curious if y'all have the yellow jackets able to score enough to cover that number i do not and i know i'm the georgia tech hater whatever i'll wear that badge proudly i guess but um, yeah, Georgia's just clicking at the right time and they're doing too well right now for me to pick against them. Georgia runs away with this. Look, my, my storyline on this one had to do a lot with Georgia tech, right? The Georgia tech going back into the off season, they had to watch their in-state rivals win two back-to-back championships. They, they've had to watch them in their own city win SEC championships. Like the, this is just difficult, right? This is difficult to deal with when you watch your rival do that. And they decided to put their nose to it and, and just work. And they've worked and they've grinded and they used the portal well. And here they are going to a bowl game for the first time in a while. This is really exciting times for Georgia Tech. This is a team that's playing a lot better. And, and Georgia's just so much better than them. Georgia is just so much better than them as a program right now. Uh, Georgia's going to win this one big. I, the, you know, Last year, I think I thought, okay, well, Georgia Tech might be able to cover this one because you know they're playing a little bit better. And then Georgia just stomped all over him. I, I think it's going to be a similar situation. The Georgia Bulldogs are playing extremely good football right now. It's a bad time to be anybody on the other side of the field. Uh, I don't think that a lot of teams could keep it inside of 24 against Georgia right now. And so, yeah, I'm going to pick the dogs in this one by a big number. But Georgia Tech should hang their heads a lot higher. They should feel a lot better about the way that they're playing, about the way that their team has played this year. You go get ready for that bowl game, and you go win You know, win that bowl game, finish the season on a good note. I'm going to take Georgia to cover the spread as well. I worry about a backdoor cover for Georgia Tech, but uh, the rambling wreck, uh, you know what? We're going to roll into the postseason. We're going to roll into a bowl game this week. Doesn't, doesn't matter. Let's just play for some pride and uh, and focus on winning that bowl game. Last three games. Uh, you guys tell me what is most interesting to you. We've got North Carolina at NC State. We've got Clemson at South Carolina. And we've got Farmageddon between Iowa State and Kansas State. Trey, out of those three, which one are you most likely to watch? Oh, I love me some Farmageddon. This one always gets weird. 
best rivalry game name in all of college football for my money, Iowa State, Kansas State. And Kansas State 10-point favorites at home. I think Iowa State's defense makes this one spicy. Kansas State will probably win, but don't sleep on the clones' defense. You saw what they did against Texas last week. So, yeah, I'm in on Kansas State winning this game, keeping their slim title hopes alive, but Iowa State's going to make it close. Jay, are you saying, man, I love Farmageddon? Man, I love Farmageddon. There we go. Absolutely. Just wanted to see. I I, I don't know if those were your sentiments, but – uh, no, I'm probably going to be watching Clemson, South Carolina. I think South Carolina has a chance in this game. Um, I, I think they'll be able to play this one. But Clemson has been playing a lot better the last couple of weeks. So I'm kind of curious to see what trend emerges. You know, Clemson, they have shown the capacity to lose a game like this this season. Uh, but maybe they haven't shown that the last couple of weeks. Just kind of curious to see which Clemson team we get. Uh, and, and, of course, South Carolina, you know, needing this one. Uh, real bad and you know maybe being able to go back to back on this one you know could be a fun storyline there um i think an underrated rivalry game every year and so i'm going to be watching this one at maybe at least for the first quarter until one of these teams runs away with it you know south carolina has to win this game to go bowling it, our, our friend dan keegan over the transfer portal uh, he's like has, quadrupled down on his upset. <laughs> now, now I texted him saying, Hey, do you want to come on the podcast and, and give, give a defense for the show? And he said, it's mostly for vibes. So it's not an X's and O's <laughs> pick. And thank goodness, because you can't make an X's and O's pick this year in which South Carolina wins this game. Has Clemson been a world beater? No, of course not. South Carolina scored 17 against Kentucky last week. And one. And, and and did win and did shout out them for winning one of the worst football games played last weekend. Uh, no, Clemson, Clemson minus the number, man. They want revenge. I, I know it's on the road, uh, but Clemson's a better team. South Carolina is, we told y'all from the beginning, the South Carolina team was not going to be good. Uh, there was just no way that they got to their nine or 10 win ceiling like some were claiming. So give me Clemson to get revenge. Uh, I'm very interested in UNC, NC State. Both teams are eight and three. NC State has won the last two games and five of the last seven. Mac Brown has not been able to get the Wolfpack's number. And, uh, you know, NC State is at home for this game. They've got the better defense in this one, and their offense has been figuring out a little bit. Guys, I say NC State wins in a third straight. Yeah, I, I, could definitely see that happening. NC State's a surprising eight and three. We talked about that on the recap yeah. show, Gary yeah. and I did. I'm gonna roll with North Carolina. I talk about picking off vibes. That it's just a total vibe pick. I think NC State is a little bit of a fraudulent eight and three, but North Carolina, I think, has more talent and somehow, some way, finds a way to win this one for once. Uh, I'm with you, Trey. I think they're gonna find a way to to sneak this one out. And also, just again, this is purely vibes. I'm just going on the vibes here. Um, sorry, I thought you were doing this for Mac Brown, but then I already no, turned No, we'll, we'll, we'll pack. We'll pack. Uh, there you go. No, uh, no, I'm, I'm still going UNC uh, on this one. I, I think that they, they're the better offense. They can play better. Um, I think they have the higher upside, and I think that Mac Brown will have them ready to go. So I'm gonna go with the gonna go with the Tar Heels on this one. Love it. Rivalry week in the books. Our final regular season preview in the books as well. It's so bittersweet, but as I said, this is my favorite weekend of the entire sports and calendar. So you know what? Let's keep the vibes high. Uh, Let's head into Turkey week, feast week with our heads held high. If you're listening to this on Wednesday, tweet at us Thursday, Friday, Saturday, all weekend long. We cannot wait to watch these games 
and uh, and break it all down on Saturday as well. I will be absent again. Sorry, I've got a playoff game to call that is nowhere close to my my home and my <laughs> recording setup. So Garrett and Trey will take you with the live show. We might have a guest on that show as well. But uh, for Trey Reeves, Garrett Turney, I'm Mitch Mason. Thanks so much for hanging with us. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. And until next time, so long, everyone. Gracious, yeah. how about that?